Mean. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here. Um, in case you missed it or just didn't hear, if you can put that first slide up here. So here's our title for today. We get that up there? Here we go. So there's our title. So parents, if you missed it, zero to fifth grade, if you'd like your kids to not be in here during the service, um, that is understandable. So um, we're going to try to stick closely to the text, but I'm telling you the text itself is rather PG-13. So um, that's totally up to you. Someone will meet you in the lobby, help you get your kids to your classes. You won't miss a thing. I'll give you a few minutes to do that. Um, so if if you haven't noticed, um, I took most of July off, so you haven't seen me for a while. Um, and here's how, it, here's how this came about. So a few months ago, I was meeting with my good friend Steve Bensma, who's the pastor over at uh, the Cornerstone Church Plant in Marshalltown. And uh, Steve's been here before. Many of you know Steve, um, good friend of mine. And I'm sitting with him. And I'm going, you know, I love Boone, I love Stonebridge, I love the people there, but I'm just, I'm tired. And he's like, well, how many years have you been in full-time ministry? And I said, 13. And he said, well, most pastors take what's called a sabbatical every seven years, and you're like almost double that. And I was like, I know, I know, I know, but I just, I like to work, um, and I don't want to just sit around. So um, I'm like... Tell me more about this sabbatical thing. And he talked to me a little bit about it. I did some research. Um, and sabbatical literally just means extended Sabbath. So I've been diligent for a long time at taking uh, a weekly Sabbath. In fact, from day one, um, out, out, coming out of college, having a full-time job in ministry, taking a day of the week to rest from work, because uh, you see that pattern starting in Genesis where God rested on the seventh day uh, of creation after creating everything as a pattern for us to follow. So I've been great at that. I have not been great at taking extended Sabbaths, though. I, I take a couple days here or there, but I just, I had a lot of vacation time built up. So um, I was always kind of against this, though, because in my mind, I was like, well, other professions don't get to do that. Why should I have that privilege, you know? It just didn't seem right. Um, but the thing is, and, and Steve helped me realize this, pastoring is being on call 24-7, which is emotionally draining, unlike most other professions. And the emotional wear and tear of 13 years just caught up with me. And so um, I decided to take an ex some extended time off. And if you're in a profession that's more 24-7-like, um, then... I would encourage you, you probably need that every once in a while to take some extended time off as well. Anyway, I enjoyed some time away finding my identity in Jesus apart from what I do for Jesus. And it was great. It was really, it was really restful. Um, I feel refreshed. I feel drawn closer to the Lord and excited for this next phase of ministry here at Stonebridge. And my wife, Heather, and I both found ourselves really missing you all and missing this church family. And so thank you for your prayers, your support. I hope that I can be a, a, an inspiration of sorts for you to develop your own healthy patterns and rhythms of rest in your own life because it's so important. So, something we did plenty of in this past month was some campfires. Okay, I, I love a good campfire. 
Um, and one night we were like, man, should we watch a movie? We got the kids down. We're like, man, should we watch a movie or should we do a campfire? We're like, let's do both. So we brought the laptop out and watched a, camp, watched a movie while having a campfire. Best of both worlds. I'm not sure if I would recommend it. It was like ashes getting on the computer. Not, not, a, not as great as it was in my mind. But um, <clears throat> anyway, what I love about campfires and fire in general is they're just kind of mesmerizing. They're beautiful they're mysterious. Obviously, fire gives warmth. They're kind of unpredictable. You don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and I especially love it outside under the stars, just looking up, being in awe of God. But campfires are fantastic. But they're only fantastic if they're in a fire pit or a fire ring. If I went to Heather and was like, hey, let's have a campfire tonight in the middle of the living room, she would go, you are psychotic. Okay, that would not work out well. And so in the same way that campfires are fantastic, the main point of our text this morning, which is Proverbs 5 through 7, the main thing we see here is that sex is fantastic, but only if it's enjoyed in its proper God-designed context of marriage. Outside of his parameters, families and lives are destroyed. And I think all of us, have experienced that, if not firsthand, through others in our lives, seeing the destruction that that causes. So, let's jump into the text. Proverbs 5, I want to look at verses 15 to 19 together first. And this is our first, uh, and uh, let's put the main point up there first. Keep, keep following along with me. So, if you didn't get this, get that for a second. I'll say it again. So, sex is fantastic but only if it's enjoyed in its proper God-designed context of marriage. All right, next slide. First point, enjoy sex in marriage. 5 verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Purposely wanted to start with this section because I wanted to start not with what you can't do, but with what you can do. See, in, in my home growing up and in the church I went to growing up, we simply did not talk about sex in a positive way. Okay, all I ever heard was don't and run away. Okay, which to some extent you see is true, and we're going to see that in here, but it's only half of it. See, what churches and Christian families have kind of become known for by our culture anyways is saying, hey, stop it. Don't do it. It's shameful, and that's it. And it's a shame because God himself speaks of the glories of sex in his word. So look at this. Verse 15. This is a Middle Eastern culture that this is written to. An arid, desert culture where hard, water was hard to come by. And he uses this analogy of getting water from your own cistern. From your own well. And a cistern was something you'd, you'd dig out to collect rainwater. So that... Obviously, it doesn't rain often so, so that you could collect it and use it for your family, for some fresh water. And a well, most of us know what that is. You, you dig down deep enough and find 
some water pockets below the earth's surface. And so when you build a cistern or well, you keep it for you and your family. Otherwise, you literally are going to die. And so no one in the right mind built a well or a cistern and then just let anyone and everyone come and use it. If you did that, your family would surely die. But you would enjoy it and cherish it and treasure this water source that you have. And in verses 18 and 19 here, he explains this analogy of this cistern and this well clearly. He's saying, just like you don't freely share your water source with others, and you would enjoy it yourself, sex is to be enjoyed and cherished like life-giving water with your spouse. Sharing that intimate gift with others leads to the destruction of your family. And he camps out here in verses 18 and 19 on enjoying and savoring your spouse. Take pleasure, he says, in your spouse. Be lost in her love forever. And that word love in the original language, the Hebrew, literally means love making. He's talking about sex. God's advice and command to married couples is this. Thoroughly enjoy sex in marriage. And thoroughly enjoy it often. God designed sex. It's not taboo or shameful to enjoy sex in marriage. So if you're not married, save sex till marriage. It's worth the wait. If you are married, enjoy it. Enjoy it regularly. It's a good gift from God. And some of you, even as I say that, go, wow, can he say that? I'm like, read it. This text is more explicit than I even am explaining it right now. Enjoy sex regularly in marriage as a good gift from God. Thank him for that. And if you're married and you're not enjoying the gift of sex regularly, that's a check engine light for you. We talked about this as elders this week. We wanted you to realize, hey, if that's not going on, then there's probably some issues with communication or conflict management or something else. Get some help to try to diagnose that. I would love to to meet with you and try to help you with that if you want that. But let's get to the real issue. If it's not happening regularly, what's going on? Where are the other areas you could start to work on? Is it check engine light? So I'll say it again, and I want this to be the loudest message you hear today because it's been wrongfully muted in the church for so long. Enjoy sex and marriage. Okay, next point. Stay far away from sex outside of marriage. Let's back up to 5 verse 1. Proverbs 5.1, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen, listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps head straight to Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, sons, listen to me. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, 
You will lament when the physical body has been consumed. And you will say, how I hated discipline. Now my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. So here, in this section, especially in verses 7 and 8, which I think is a good synopsis of this whole section, we see that we need to stay far away from sex outside of marriage. Verses 1 and 2 here are much like verse 7, and they're saying this, hey, listen up, listen well. What I'm about to say is so important. And then verse 8, he says, keep your way far from her. Who is her? Verse 3, he's talking about the forbidden woman. And we're going to see later, verse 20, also referred to as the wayward woman. And we're actually introduced to this person or this personification in Proverbs 2. So if you'll flip back a couple chapters with me, I want to show you this. And we can learn a little bit about who he's even talking about in chapter 5. So Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. Chapter 2, verse 16 It, wisdom, will rescue you from a forbidden woman. Here she is. From a wayward woman with her flattering talk. Verse 17, here it is. She abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So this forbidden woman represents those who abandon the companion of their youth. People or things or ideologies that abandon keeping sex in marriage. And we also learn that this forbidden woman represents those, in verse 17 it says, that forget the covenant of God. So it's not just leading others down destructive paths and ultimately putting their fingers in their ears towards God and going, I know that you said to keep sex in marriage, but I don't care. You and your ways don't matter to me, God. Because that's what you do when you ignore God and His commands. And his commands, his good commands about sex. See, the forbidden woman in chapter 2 and throughout Proverbs and in chapter 5, as we go back to chapter 5, this forbidden woman is not a woman. This forbidden woman represents anyone, any man, any woman, or anything, get this, that celebrates and promotes sexual pleasure outside of marriage. Anyone or anything that celebrates and promotes sexual pleasure outside of marriage. And in so doing, they're celebrating and promoting, ignoring God himself. So, back to 5 verse 8. It says, keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. You see what he's saying? Don't... Don't just stay far away from loose women. That's not what it's saying, although it would include that perhaps, but it's saying stay far away from any person, thing, website, situation that celebrates and promotes sexual pleasure apart from your spouse. And do this because it ignores, when you, when we, when you go after anything that celebrates and promotes sexual pleasure outside your spouse, you're ignoring God. You're ignoring the God that you love and that loves you and it deadens and calluses your heart to him and his good ways. Keep your way far from her, it says here in verse 8. Far from her. I think I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again. So dating couples, when they ask me, hey, 
how far is too far to go physically together before we get married, I always say, well, let's pretend there's, a, there's an electric fence right here and you're playing catch with the ball, all right? Are you going to play catch right here up next to the fence where you could possibly get yourself electrocuted or lose your ball? No, you'd play catch as far away as you can from that electric fence. And so the question is not how much can you dabble in sexual temptation, it's how far away can I get away from sexual temptation. See, you're asking the wrong question when you say how far can we go. Each of us has different quote-unquote forbidden women calling to us often, trying to trick us into believing that sexual pleasure outside of marriage is good says, hey, it's fine. It's even healthy for you. Don't worry about it. Relax. It'll help you relax. It'll give you what you always wanted. Certain movies, certain websites, books, friends, situations. It's it's all different. We all have these different sexual temptations coming at us going, hey, this is great. And God goes, no, keep your way far from her. So about a year ago, um, I was on Instagram, and uh, a tempting ad came up. And I went, okay, God, I'm deleting this app. I'm not using Instagram anymore. Haven't been back on since. By the grace of God, I lived out this verse. I kept my way far from her. You have Instagrams you need to delete too. See, I think we all have these things, these, these temptations towards sexual pleasure outside of marriage that we just need to get rid of in our lives and keep our way far from that thing. And you might be like, yeah, but why? Is it really that big of a deal? Let's keep reading in the text. 5 verse 20. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman? Or embrace a wayward woman. For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Gives two main reasons here of why it's so important to keep far away from sex outside of marriage. And we see the first one in verse 21. And The reason is this, God sees it all and he knows all of it. You can't hide from God. You can't pull one over on God. It says a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes and he considers all their paths. It's that big a deal because you cannot hide from God. And secondly, we see in verses 22 and 23 here, there will be consequences Many of you are familiar with Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death. You see, sin always brings about death of some kind. It might be relational death. It might be physical death. It might be emotional death. Death or loss of some kind. Sin always leads to death. You might be thinking, yeah, but Matt, I'm, I'm in Christ. I am forgiven. There's no condemnation for me. There's no punishment. And I would say in heaven, absolutely, you're right. You have Christ's spotless record. But here's the deal on earth. You have consequences for your sin. 
And when it comes to sexual sin, there's a plethora of natural consequences that come. We know this. Disease, divorce, estrangement from kids. I could keep going on and on. Stay far away from sex outside of marriage for your own good and for God's glory. Third, we see in this text that we need to guard our hearts from sexual sin. Guard your heart from sexual sin. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 20. Proverbs 6, 20, it says, My son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp. A teaching is a light. And corrective discipline is the way to life. They will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a wayward woman. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty. And let her... Or let her captivate you with her eyelashes, for a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. Still, if caught, he must pay seven times as much. He must give up all the wealth in his house. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. He will get a beating and dishonor, and his disgrace will never be removed. For jealousy enrages a husband. He will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not be appeased by anything or be persuaded, be persuaded by lavish bribes. 7 verse 1, my son, obey my words and treasure my commands. Keep my commands and live and guard my instructions as you would the pupil of your eye. Tie them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your relative. She will keep you from a forbidden woman, a wayward woman with her flattering talk. So we see here in this section, we need to guard our hearts from sexual sin. We see in verses 20 to 24, and then book ended here, 7 verses 1 through 5, they're saying essentially the same thing in those sections. Hey, listen. Listen to God's commands. Now, what are God's commands specifically? Is he referring to a certain command? Certainly listen to all of God's commands, but which command? Interestingly enough, in the whole section I just read, there was only one command, and it's in verse 25. It says this, don't lust in your heart for her beauty. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty. See, the battle with sexual sin does not start with actions. It starts in our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. It's talking again about this forbidden, this wayward woman. And remember, the forbidden woman represents anyone or anything that celebrates and promotes sexual pleasure outside of marriage and in so doing, celebrates and promotes ignoring God himself. So he says here, don't lust after the beauty of those who aren't your spouse. 
Don't lust. What does lust mean? Simply put, lust is a strong desire for something that is not yours. It's a strong desire for something that isn't yours. Now, let me give a caveat here. 6 verse 25, look at what it's not saying. It doesn't say, don't notice the beauty of others. It's not wrong for you to notice that someone who's not your spouse is beautiful. In fact, I think that is helpful for not lusting. You go, God, you are beautiful and you make beautiful things. Now, help me not to take this a step farther into lust. When we just go, no, stop it, don't even notice other people and walk around like that, We're actually training ourselves to not notice and acknowledge others who are created in the image of God. It's like we're demeaning his creation, and that's not healthy. But the next step of not letting your mind go any farther is very difficult. We go, God, okay, you made this person beautiful. Help me not to take this any further in my mind. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, We don't have to do that. We don't have to lust in our hearts after those who are not our spouse. Guarding our hearts, guarding our minds, guarding our thoughts from sexual sin really is where the battle is won and lost. This is why it's so key to have people in our lives to open up to, not just about outward sexual sin, but about the sexual sin of lusting after someone who's not our spouse. See, that is as much sexual sin as committing adultery. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's start confessing and repenting of what goes on in our mind like it's serious, like it's that dire. See, failure to treat lust in our hearts as serious as lust with our hands, unchecked, surely will lead to life-altering, family-shattering sin in your life. Guard your heart from sexual sin. Lastly, in this text, we see that we need to not just guard your heart. You need to guard their heart from sexual sin. Chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near a corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight, in the evening, in the dark of the night, a woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She's loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings today, and I fulfilled my vow, so I came out to meet you to try to search for you, and I found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him. And will come home at the time of the full moon. And she seduces him with her persistent pleading. 
She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. We've focused a lot, and the scripture has focused a lot so far on staying clear of sexual sin ourselves, but I want to focus in here now on how to help others stay clear of sexual sin. And I want to do this by focusing in on this forbidden woman. And so let's consider for a second the types of things that we can do to guard our brothers' and sisters' hearts from sexual sin. This forbidden woman here, let's look, let's look at her ways. She has three main tactics for seducing. And the first thing we see in verse 10 is her clothing. It says she was dressed like a prostitute, undoubtedly. She was leaving little to the imagination to visually draw him in. She uses her clothing or lack thereof. Then her location, secondly. Verses 11 and 12, she's not at home much with her spouse. She puts herself in locations to get noticed by other men. Her location seduces Thirdly, her words. If you didn't catch it, verses 14 through 20 is this, this long, sultry, seductive speech trying to draw him in. In verse 21, it says what it is. She seduces him with her persistent, pleading words. Now, it's hard for us as we look at this. It's hard for any of us to want to liken ourselves to this woman, right? But if we are honest, we can all subtly start to do some of the same things. See, I'm not, I'm not just talking to women here. Men as well think about these three things. I want to ask you some questions to help you think deeply about how you could further guard other people's hearts from sexual sin. So when it comes to your clothing, could the outfit, ask these types of questions, could the outfit I'm about to put on easily tempt others to sin? Could the swimsuit I'm about to buy tempt others to lust? Could my attire at church distract others from worshiping Jesus? Have I, have I asked other godly individuals to evaluate my wardrobe? Especially, I'll just give a shout out, as a dad, young Females especially. Have you ever asked your dad and do you even listen to him on his advice? He's a dad. He knows how guys think. He loves you. He wants the best for you. What statement do my clothes make about my heart? You see, we have an opportunity every day to guard other people's hearts from sexual temptation simply through our clothing choice. Secondly, our location. Am I, am I putting myself in social situations that encourage sexual sin? 
Am I putting myself in a situation regularly with someone who's not my spouse that tempts them or me to sin sexually? Am I purposely spending less and less time with my spouse and therefore setting myself up to sin sexually or even my spouse? See, we have an opportunity every day to guard others' hearts with, from sexual temptation simply through where we are or where we are not. And our words. Is there anyone I'm opening up to emotionally in a more vulnerable manner than my spouse? Could my joking around with others who aren't my spouse be mistaken for flirting? Am I, am I saving my best compliments for my spouse or am I using them on others, tempting them to lust after me? We have an opportunity every day to guard others' hearts from sexual temptation simply through what we say or don't say. We can and we should do all we can with our clothing, with our location, with our words, with, with everything in our lives to help guard other people's hearts from sexual pitfalls. Laying down our own preferences in order to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the main point, let's come back to it again. Here it is. Let's go to the next slide. Sex is fantastic but only if it's enjoyed in its proper God-designed context of marriage outside of his parameters for sex, families, and lives will surely be destroyed. And you may be sitting here now going, okay, Matt, but what if I've already screwed up? I want you to point you to 1 Corinthians 6, and it's on the screen here. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. This list here in verses 9 and 10 is talking about people whose whole lives and whole identity is wrapped up in that particular sin. In verse 11 it says, and some of you used to be like this. And here's what's true. Apart from Jesus, before we came to know Christ, this was true of all of us. Just take greedy people. Every single one of us, before we came to Christ, we're all about ourselves. This, was, this is our sinful nature apart from Jesus. It's all about me. That was our identity. And some of us don't even have to go past the first thing in this list. Sexually immoral people that used to be what our whole life and identity was all about. Sexual pleasure. And all of us have been guilty of sexual immorality at some point. And you go, oh, Matt, how dare you say that about me? Here's the deal. No one including me can honestly say they haven't at the very least, lusted in their heart after someone who is not their spouse. You're tricking yourself if you think that's true of you. But watch this. That's not the end of verse 11. Look at this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your identity in life is not defined by your sin. 
Your identity, your life is not defined by sexual sin. If you are in Christ, your identity and your life is defined by your Savior, Jesus Christ. This is incredible news. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The incredible news this morning is that if you've messed up sexually, that sin is not who you are. And that does not define you. You may and probably will have consequences on this earth. But guess what? God doesn't look at you and go, man, look, there's that sexual sinner. No, if you're in Christ, he looks at you. And he goes, there's my son, there's my daughter, and I love them so much. That's who you are. So say this with me. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father.